What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the Raw Prospect Podcast. My name is Amy Nixon. Today is August the 14th, 2022, and we're recording episode 116. It's going to be an NFC West episode. We're continuing our division preview series. Um, then we're going to close the show with some MLB talk. We're going to talk about the Fernando Tostes Jr. suspension. But joining me from Austin, Texas, the stat king himself, Mr. Michael Ween. What's up? Well, it's a good time here on August 14th at about 11 p.m. Central Time, the time at which we are recording this episode. Um, before I say anything, be sure to go like and subscribe to our channel. Tell your friends about our channel. And tune in to the division previews that we have recorded already. Um, we have done the AFC North, um, the NFC North, and we've recorded the AFC West. I'm not sure that's up yet, but it will be up soon if it's not. Um, and Emmy does a great job editing those videos. So if you don't want to listen to it, you can always go watch it on our YouTube channel. So be sure to do all that stuff. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, but yeah, we're here today. Uh, I'm done with my tests, so that's a big, uh, a big weight off my shoulder now. Um, so we're back in the business of recording today. We're going to hit the NFC West. Hopefully, talk a little college football, um, and then at the end, we might talk about the Tati suspension. I really want to, but we had some big news break on Friday. Um, but if we don't have time and it's running a little over, we'll push that to the next episode. Um, so, yeah, I'm excited to talk football. So let's just get right into it. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start off with um, – we're going to go bottom to the top based on last year's standings, and that's going to start us off with the Seattle Seahawks. So right. um, last year the Seahawks, um, I guess you could call it the end of an era where – um, they start off the year with high expectations. They started okay. Um, and then Russell Wilson suffered that uh, finger injury, kept them out for a while, and they weren't able to recover from that. Um, and they ended up missing the playoffs um, by a pretty wide margin. And now they're heading into a new era with Russell Wilson off the roster now. They traded him to the Broncos, um, and they've injected – this team with a lot of youth as well. Um, so, Michael, um, we'll start with you. Um, what do you, what did you think of the Seahawks offseason? And uh, just what are your overall takeaways? Well, it, you know, the trade of Russell Wilson and losing Bobby Wagner and so many other veterans, uh, you know, Dwayne Brown uh, and so many others, officially marks the end of what I think uh, was the greatest era in Seattle Seahawks history. I think that's pretty uh, standout, clear, inarguable. Um, they had the Jim Zorn days way back in the day, but other than that, didn't have too much success. They got to two Super Bowls. They won a Super Bowl. They should have won two. Um, but, yeah, it officially marks the end of an era, the best era in Seahawks history. Um, I know there's some obvious things that we can talk about at the quarterback position, but we'll save those for here in a minute. I want to talk about the defense for a second. Uh, I won't, 
this team made a lot of changes on defense. Um, they also lost some veteran talent. Um, they actually fired their off their defensive coordinator, excuse me. They switched to their new coordinator, Clint Hurt, who has promised in the reports coming out of Seattle to change, use more of a 3-4 front, um, try to improve the rush off the edge um, because Seattle has really liked the uh, effective pass rush in years past. Um, and he's promised to bring a more aggressive defense. So I'm curious to see if with the personnel they've brought in through the draft, if they can get this defense back to what it needs to be for this team to have success. Um, however, I do have questions. The defensive line is a big question. Um, I like what they have on the interior with Puna Ford, sort of more of an established veteran going into the sixth year. Uh, they got Shelby Harris in the deal with Denver in that Russell Wilson trade. He's a veteran guy. Um, and I do like Al Woods uh, and Quentin Jefferson as well. Uh, but the edge rush continues and will be a question going forward until some of these younger guys uh, step up. Boye Mafe is a guy that they drafted, um, I believe, out of Minnesota. Right. And Tyreek Smith um, as well. And then they had some guys that they drafted last year too uh, that need to step up because you lose Carlos Dunlap, you lose Benson Mayoa, and you lose Rasheem Green. Um, so these young pieces are going to have to step up on the edge in a team that's really lacked an effective pass rush. I like what they have up the middle, uh, but the linebacker group without Bobby Wagner is a question. Um, I do like that they did acquire Uchenu, Uchenna Nuosu, um, who was a guy that got playing time with the Chargers last year. And he's a younger guy, will provide some athleticism, and hopefully he can step up as well. But that's a big question, the pass rush. And then the secondary, this is a secondary. We know what's at the safety spot. Pro most likely, if I had to guess, the highest paid safety duo in the league with Quandre Diggs and Jamal Adams. We like all that, but at the corner spot, there are a ton of questions. Um, you lose DJ Reed. I mean, this is a corner group last year that really underachieved, only had two interceptions coming from the corner spot, and they were both from DJ Reed, who left this offseason. They chose not to give him a contract. Um, so, you know, you have some younger guys. Um, Trey Brown is the leader for one of those spots who showed some flashes last year. And you also have Sidney Jones. Um, and you drafted um, your fourth-round pick, Kobe Bryant, out of Cincinnati, along with Tariq Wu and out of UTSA. Um, so hopefully those guys can set up. But I have questions on the defensive side of the football. What does this defensive coordinator bring to the game? Who steps up in the pass rush? Although there is a lot of young talent, I'll give them that. And I love the Nuosu signing. And who plays cornerback? Um, so, yeah, that's the defense, um, but I do like what they have up front in the interior. On the offensive side, this team still has weapons. You lose Chris Carson. He retires because of injury, of neck injuries, um, so hopefully he's okay. You still have Tyler Lockett. You give DK Metcalf the extension, um, and I'm curious to see what he looks like in his rapport with these new quarterbacks. But the main question on defense or on offense, excuse me, is uh, the quarterback battle between Geno Smith 
and Drew Locke. Um, and that's really the biggest question right now in Seattle is who's playing quarterback for them and what does it look like? Because we haven't seen uh, good things from Drew Locke. Um, and, you know, Geno Smith, um, his experience showed some good things last year. But the question is, will he be able to do it consistently enough as a starter? And with this tough division and the schedule that they have, I'm just not sure. Um, so with losing all this veteran talent, uh, and the uh, uh, huge uncertainty at quarterback. I'm just not sure about how much success Seattle can have this year. Right, exactly. Um, it's it's an interesting situation at quarterback. Um, I do think um, that Gino will end up winning that job, um, just because I know that Pete Carroll always sides with you know. Um, whoever shows more in camp and in practice and in the games, he's always going to pick that guy, no matter what the team has invested in a certain player or whatever the case may be, however young a player is, whatever the case may be. Um, he's always just going to go with the guy who has shown more in practice. And I think that's probably going to end up being Geno Smith. Um, but then lies the question is, Will the offensive line protect Geno Smith? Because we see it, we've seen it so many times. Also, Wilson, you know, um, you know, pull some Houdini type stuff. It's like pull a pull a cat out of a hat, well, a rabbit out of a hat, not a cat. Um, but you get the point. Um, is this you know is this offense going to be able to function in any sort of way with you know a traditional pocket passer who isn't as able to create outside of the pocket. Um, and another thing I want to see is how will this team look with Pete Carroll back in complete control over both sides of the ball? You know, over the last few years, we've seen the movement for the, you know, let Russ cook, let Russ cook. But um, there's always been pushback from, you know, the coaching staff and obviously not just Pete Carroll, but Pete Carroll leads a lot of that for sure. Um, there's always been pushback from the coaching staff to where uh, by the end of the season, they end up, you know, the same Seattle Seahawks, you know, running over 50% of the time and, you know, embracing that part of the game. So now with Russell Wilson gone and that era of football gone, um, are we going to see the, you know, the old brand of Pete Carroll football, which is, you know, running the ball 60 plus percent of the time and then, um, you know, basically just throwing about, you know, less than 30 times a game, you know. So will that even bring any success? Um, because I think Pete Carroll is – he still has a lot of good coaching years left in him. We'll have to see what he can do. Yeah, we'll have to see. Um, and going to your point, I guess – We've seen in the past five or so years, as the league has shifted to a more quarterback-dominated, wide receiver, offensive-dominated uh, league um, where offenses are explosive, um, the rules have shifted towards the offense, away from the defense with some of the penalties, some of the things that the defense is not allowed to do. Um, so, yeah, this is – I mean, if you watched the playoffs last year – you got to be able to score points to win games. But here's what I will say. 
We've seen in years past that it is possible to win games and be a competitive football team within the regular season, being a run-dominant team, and just having a solid foundation on defense or a really good defense. Now, as I spoke previously, I have questions about this defense, but if some of these young players step up and the corner – the cornerback dilemma isn't as bad as I think it is. You never know. Um, and with this new defensive coordinator, there's just a lot of questions right now. And I'm uncertain that can be the case for Seattle. Uh, but I want to talk about a couple things I did like about the Seahawks offseason. Um, I mentioned Nuosu is a player I love. I think they went out and got him in free agency. Um, I love doing that. I actually, for the first time in a while, really liked their draft. I typically, in the past, haven't loved uh, some of the drafts, um, you know, that the Seattle Seahawks have had. But you potentially drafted two of your uh, future tackles on the offensive line, uh, and Charles Cross, the number one pick out of Mississippi State. Love it. Love that pick. Uh, and then Abraham Lucas out of Washington State, the bigger guy, 6'6", 330, 332, a third-round pick who will compete um, to start, you know, opposite Charles Cross at right tackle. And that's really a question on the offensive line. You lose Dwayne Brown. But I do like you injecting some youth on this offensive line. Uh, I like the interior of their offensive line uh, with Gabe Jackson, and Austin Blythe, the guy who has started at center, been in the league a long time with the Rams. I do like that. And I love the running back group. Um, talk about a team that might want to run the football a whole lot. Well, they have depth at that position. Um, we know Chris Carson retired, but saw flashes. I've seen flashes from Rashad Penny before as long as he stays healthy. And this Kenneth Walker dude that they drafted out of uh, Michigan State, um, he showed flashes in last night's preseason game against the Steelers. Um, and I really think he's going to be a good asset for them, along with Travis Homer, along with DJ Dallas. These all these running backs all provide different skill sets. So at the very least, you're running a football team. The interior offensive line is fine. Uh, there are questions at the tackle spots, but you have depth at the running back position. Uh You've been successful in running the football in years past. You have some established weapons still on the outside with Metcalf, Lockett. You get a younger tight end, Noah Fant. Um, so, yeah, I like bits and pieces, but there are so many questions, uh, you know, everywhere. So I just don't know. I just don't know. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and – you know, the key to having a running football team and, you know, defensive-minded team is having, you know, those pass rushers and having those, you know, playmakers on the defensive side. And, um, you know, I think one guy that we haven't mentioned yet, Jamal Adams, I think he has to have a bounce-back year um, for the Seattle defense to be any form of um, decent. Um, I, I just think... Jamal Adams, you know, his ability to, you know, wreak havoc on blitzes, um, you know, just read the game. He hasn't had a good stint with Seattle so far. He's really struggled in coverage. But 
but he really hasn't, you know, been um, a coverage oriented player like his through his career. He's been a box safety his entire career. That's where he's at his best. So if Seattle can embrace that, I still think he has a lot of good football in him. I do too. I love what they have at the safety position as long as what you mentioned. Uh, Adams can get back to playing some of the football he was playing in New York as it's sort of been a rough go in Seattle. Let's look at their schedule real quick and then we'll move on. Um, I was hoping they might catch a break early with some easier games, but they don't. Um, Their schedule's tough right out of the gate. They got to face Russell Wilson um, right out of the gate on Monday Night Football. That game is in Seattle, um, so there will be a lot of emotion i'm assuming but that's going to be a tough a tough one then you gotta you gotta follow that by going to san francisco you get a winnable game at home in week three against atlanta but after that it's a slog at detroit is not what it used to be um if we think you know things pan out for detroit that that's not going to be easy Uh, at new orleans arizona within your division at the chargers Giants at home is another winnable one, but then at Arizona, Tampa Bay in Germany. So you got to fly all the way across the country. Oh, my goodness. From the West Coast. And then you get your bye week, which is, I guess, fine. But then coming out of the bye week, it doesn't get any easier. Las Vegas, the Rams, even Carolina, uh, who has a quarterback now that has, you know, experience. They got pressure to win down there. San Francisco at Kansas City, the Jets. And the Rams. So the schedule's brutal. Um, it really is. Yeah, even even the teams that weren't very good last year that they play have a lot of, you know, talent added and, you know, a lot of good vibes going into this year. So, you know, this schedule could be really, really tough. And the fact that you said they're playing Tampa Bay in Germany is just absolutely brutal. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. And – um and that's going to lead into their bye week, you know, that you'd think that for that type of game, they'd have the bye week be before that, but you know, it is what it is. Um, Yeah. That schedule is, it's, it's not fun. It could be a rough ride. Absolutely. So with that, why don't you lead us into our next NFC West team? Yeah. um, The next team is going to be, would it be the Niners? We can do Niners or Cardinals. They both yeah, were in yeah, the playoffs. I'd say the Cardinals because the Cardinals didn't go as far. Okay, yeah, yeah. We'll go ahead and do the Cardinals then. Um, the Cardinals had a really, you know, their hands were tied. You know, they they didn't have much cap space, and they had a lot of guys they needed to retain. Um, they ultimately lost Chandler Jones. Um, and, you know, they're really – going into this year kind of relying on you know Kyler Murray Kyler Murray taking another step forward and you know I think the depth of this team is really what hurt the most from this offseason I think they still have a lot of quality talent um, in terms of starters um, but just you know those key depth pieces are that are so important um, in a long you know 17 game season um, that depth is so, so important, especially in a tough division. Um, but I do like the trade for uh, Marquise Brown, um, especially now in hindsight, knowing that 
DeAndre Hopkins is going to miss the first six weeks. Uh, I feel like that's going to be really big for them. Um, they also re-signed Zach Ertz to a three-year deal. I think they may have, you know, overdone it with the years and the contract. But you know, he Zach Ertz is a, is a proven guy. So if if anyone's going to you know age well, it would be him. Um, but that's I think that's just a lot of faith to put in a guy who's already past thirty. Um, and you know, let's see here. Yeah, I I don't really know what what else to say really with the Cardinals. I mean, I'm not super high on them going into this year, um, just based on you know all the pieces that they lost. But I also aren't going to count them out. They still have a lot of young pieces that you know if they step up could really make a huge difference for this team. Yeah, it's a talented roster, um, and you know. It starts. It obviously all starts with um, Kyler Murray, who left a sour taste in her mouth with the finish to last year in that wild card game. Um, just wasn't good um, at all. The offense had no juice whatsoever. Just there were some injuries. He had to deal with constant injuries, but that's no excuse as every team's dealing with injuries at that time. You get you get the money that you want. Um, there was, of course, the whole fiasco with the contract and the clause that was put in the contract, where you know sort of made Kyler and the Cardinals look bad. That sort of thing. We won't get into that right now. The bottom line is, um, you led this team to the playoffs, and now it's time to take that next step. You need to get this team to the playoffs again. Show what you can do on a consistent basis. We know you have the talent. We know you're extremely talented uh you were the number one uh quarterback uh high school quarterback coming out of texas you won a heisman trophy at oklahoma you've had success so far in the league the cardinals have gotten better in terms of wins each year you've been in the league but now it's time to take that next step um your front office they went out and got you an established guy in marquise brown uh, who has rapport with Kyler Murray from his days at Oklahoma. So that's nice, especially in the absence of DeAndre Hopkins for the first couple weeks. Um, you know, I think, do they still have A.J. Green? I'm not Yeah, exactly they, sure. they still have A.J. Green as well, yeah. Um, you know, despite some miscommunication with Kyler Murray not being on the same page at all times, uh, he's still at a respectable 2021 for a guy who's a little bit older, uh, established veteran like he is. Uh, I think he's going to be important. Uh, had over 800 yards receiving last year. Hopefully he can repeat that. I like this skill position group, especially the running backs. I love uh, – well, obviously I like James Conner. have a soft spot for James Conner. Uh, but I like some of the other guys they have in this backfield as well. Um, in the offensive line, I mean, they have veterans on this offensive line. Uh, so I don't foresee it being too much of a problem. Uh, so I like this offense. It's just all predicated on Kyler Murray. We've seen improvement each season, but last year left a bad taste in our mouths. We need to see it again. Uh, and then defensively for me, it's really all about, um, obviously you lose Chandler Jones, so that's not great. Um, 
But for me, really what I want to see from the Cardinals defense, they got a lot of young talent, especially in the middle of that defense with Isaiah Simmons, a guy they drafted a couple years ago out of Clemson, and then Zayvon Collins, who is a guy they drafted last year out of Tulsa. Um, I need to see what this young linebacker group has got in store because I think it's going to be a key to this defense unlocking its full potential. Uh, I like the secondary. Buda Baker's obviously a stud. Um, and then some other pieces there as well. Byron Murphy, um, guy they drafted a couple of years ago, Jeff Gladney out of TCU, and others. Um, and obviously, you still have JJ Watts and veterans on that defensive line. Uh, but I, I just, I'm really interested to watch uh, this young linebacker group try and prove itself. And if it does, it could be dangerous. I mean, there's a lot of athleticism there with Collins, yeah. Simmons, a guy they drafted from San Diego State this year, and uh, Cameron Thomas, Marcus Golden, and others. Um, but I don't know. It's basically Kyler Murray, um, stay healthy. And then I need to see this linebacker group. Uh, but I think the Cardinals will be a good team. They'll be buying for a playoff spot. Um, but we'll see where it goes. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, you mentioned those linebackers. Those are, that's, those are the two that I um, meant to mention earlier. But they're a rare breed in today's NFL. Two linebackers who are over 250 pounds and – you know, can run like they do and, you know, can cover. I mean, they they have so much potential as a linebacker duo. Um, and even Isaiah Simmons, you know, he's a guy you could even move around to safety even. You could put him on the edge. You can do a lot of different things um, with those two guys. So I'm interested to see that as well. Um, but the question I have for the Cardinals is, can they – win in December? That's been the question, you know, the last couple of years. They've gotten off to these good starts um, with Cliff, the, you know, the Cliff Kingsbury era, and they just haven't seemed to close seasons well. And, you know, the thing that we see so often with championship-level teams is they know when to kick it into high gear. I mean, last year, what, what did we see with the Rams? I mean, they were kind of going through the motions kind of midway through the season, a lot of people were questioning where they were at. And then all of a sudden, boom, they turn it on and they close out the year on a huge run. And that's what you have to do if you want to be a championship contender. So I really want to see, I really want to see that happen um, because they, they haven't shown to have the, you know, the toughness um, needed to win in the late months of the year. Um, when it gets cold, because they're, you know, a dome team. That's what dome teams tend to do. But they got to get out of that. They got to get out of that um, that trap that they're in. Right. So I guess with that, talk about December football. Well, let's look at their schedule. Because if you look at their December schedule this year, um, well, obviously, first of all, I don't like their schedule. I just looked at it. Don't Don't love it at all. Um, they don't get a break at all right out of the gates. Kansas City, playoff team. Vegas, possible playoff team. Playoff team from last year. The Rams, Super Bowl champions. 
Um, Carolina, who knows, but Philadelphia playoff team at Seattle, that's probably a dub. Uh, New Orleans, who knows, on a Thursday night on a short week after you go to Seattle, you got to go all the way back east at Minnesota, Seattle again. So you get those Seattle games out of the way, get some wins early, I guess. But then at the Rams, San Francisco, this is going into mid-late November. At the Rams, San Francisco, Chargers, bye week, all the way, and I guess that would be week 13. And then coming out of the bye week in December, you got New England, you have at Denver, you have Tampa Bay, Atlanta, that's probably a dub, but then at San Francisco. Um, I don't know, man. It's not easy at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be extremely tough. Um, but, you know, Kyler Murray, he got his payday, you know, but he still has a lot to prove. You know, he still has to, you know, show that he's worth that. Right. In, oh, in my opinion, obviously, he's shown to have the potential to be worth that. But to this point in the NFL, he hasn't gotten it done in the big games. That's what you have to do to be a big, big time quarterback. Right. So with that, we can move on. We're moving along well. I'll put that in the chat or timestamp for that. Uh, but lead us into the 49ers. Yeah, the 49ers are going into a new era as well. Um, sim- a little bit similar to the um, to the Seattle Seahawks, but for different reasons. There, There's a lot of optimism coming out of San Francisco. They're a team coming off a, a run to the NFC Championship game. Um, and now they enter the era of Trey Lance. They're, um, was he third overall? He was the third overall pick, I believe, in the – in last year's draft. So he's entering his second year, um, his first year as a starter. And, you know, the idea is that he will bring a lot of juice to this offense that they didn't have last year. Um, And this defense has come back um, strong as well. That defense last year was extremely impressive, impressive, especially to close the year. Um, and they're getting Javon Kinlaw back. They're got the their defensive tackle that they traded uh, DeForest, Buck, DeForest Buckner to get. Um, and you know this team, you know there is playmakers up and down the roster. I mean, there if you're looking at you know a roster that's built well, that's not top heavy, but still has star players. I mean. There's not many teams I would name before the 49ers. They might they might even be the first team I name. Right. One of the best things that they have going for them is they have what not many other teams have right now, and that's a young head coach that's on the right side of the ball um, with an offense. He knows how to run and is experienced in running, and that works with the personnel that they have on this team. Um, so I love that Kyle Shanahan is one of the best in the business, no, no doubt about that. Uh, but the real question um, is, you know, you had a lot of success with Jimmy Garoppolo in terms of winning football games, getting deep into the playoffs. You got to a Super Bowl, almost won the damn thing. Um, and, you know, you got to another NFC championship game, had some other playoff wins mixed in there. 
Um, so that's all good and you know great. Um, Garoppolo, 31-14 record as the 49ers starter, plus four and two in the playoffs, including a Super Bowl appearance. Um, was really known for his leadership ability and his ability to galvanize the troops, I guess, if you will. So now all that falls on Trey Lance. And my main question with Trey Lance, um, we all know he has the talent. I mean, we saw flashes in the preseason game. Um, uh, we all know about his strength. We know about his mobility. Um, we know about his intelligence. And we know that he's a good guy and potentially the next leader of this football team. But the question stems with his accuracy. Um, I know it's a small sample size, but he hasn't played a lot of football in the past couple of years. Um, 71 passes last year, a 57% completion percentage, and only 318 total passes at North Dakota State. I got to see the accuracy and the release. Wasn't sure about his release. I don't like to go too far into mechanics because I don't claim to be an expert on that. But the release just didn't look right at times. I need to see him improve in that department. But I think with more playing time and his talent, the sky's the limit. Um, so we obviously understand why they're moving off Garoppolo. I think it's a good time to do it. Um, obviously, they still got to trade Garoppolo, but they're waiting for the right time to do that. Love the... Love the weapons that they have. Um, obviously, after Debo Samuel, you know, wasn't happy early on the offseason, being able to sign him back and lock him up long term was critical and crucial uh, to this offseason. Um, I like that they added some speed with Ray Ray McLeod, the guy I know um, in his days with Pittsburgh. He should help this offense uh, and it will fit the scheme and what they're trying to do. Um, George Kittle, we all know what George Kittle is. He just needs to stay on the football field. Availability is the best ability. Uh, and then Brandon Ayuk, a guy who we both love. Uh, so I love these weapons. I love the running back as well. The running game has always been potent with Elijah Mitchell. Trey Sermon is a guy who's coming into his second year out of Ohio State. Uh They've always had that fantastic fullback in Kyle Juszczyk. They use him in some different ways. Uh, so that running game will obviously be quite a uh, a help, I guess you could say, to a young quarterback. Um, but, yeah, uh, with the scheme and the weapons that they have, uh, we know this offense is going to have success. My main question is Trey Lance, the accuracy. I hope it works out. They moved up to get him, um, and he, he looked good. Um, we've seen some special, and that's what you like to see. Um, but, yeah, we'll see what happens. I'm excited to watch him more this preseason if I get the opportunity to. And then, obviously, the defense. Um, you mentioned it's coming back healthy. Uh, Fred Warner mans the middle along with Dre Greenlaw. Love their linebacker group. Obviously, we know what they have up front with Bosa and Armstead, et cetera, et cetera. Javon Kinlaw, got a talented guy they drafted out of South Carolina a couple of years ago. Um, and then, obviously, a big addition in the secondary. Um, I love Jimmy Ward at the safety position, but they get Char Charvarius Ward, uh, the cornerback from Kansas City. Um, they signed him to a three-year, $40 million deal. 
to kind of solidify that cornerback spot. So, yeah, I, I like this team. I think um, if Trey Lance um, pans out like many think he could, they could compete uh, to possibly even win this division. But I definitely think they're a playoff-bound team, especially in the NF- a weaker NFC. Right, exactly. And um, they're also picked up a safety, um, Talonza Hufunga, who um, I had just learned about the other day, is being trained by Troy Polamalu, and he also has the hair to match. So I'm sure as a Steelers fan, you can appreciate that. Um, he's a big hitting safety. Um, I, I really like his game as well. I mean, this defense is going to be so good. And, you know, with Kyle Shanahan running the offense, I mean, he's been successful in every single stop he's had, um, you know, going back to his days with the Texans with Matt Schaub, with the, um, name redacted team, the, the, well, now they're the commanders um, with Kirk Cousins, um, the Falcons with Matt Ryan, and so on and so on. I mean, he's been successful at every stop, and I don't see that stopping now with Trey Lance. Right. Yeah. Shanahan's one of the best, and that's – I mean, he's top five in the league, in my opinion, the things he does with this offense. Um he won with Garoppolo, and now you have a more talented, more dynamic quarterback in Trey Lance, who, if he's accurate enough, this with all the weapons he has in this running game, I mean, it could be potent, along with this defense. Um, one thing I'll mention before we talk about their schedule that I didn't and I don't think has been mentioned yet, um, they did lose Lake and Tomlinson, who was one of their starting guards on that offensive line, was a pro bowler. Not great. Um, he was durable, never missed a start in his years with the 49ers. Made his debut in 2017, only missed a few snaps. So, although I still really like the offensive line, I mean, you have Alex Mack. You still have one of the best, if not the best, left tackles in the game in Trent Williams. Um, Mike McGlinchey at right tackle uh, and others. Aaron Banks is a guy they drafted out of Notre Dame last year. He was an All-American guard at Notre Dame, uh, but played only five snaps last year in his rookie season. He's going to have to fill in at that guard position, and that's really the only hole or question along that offensive line that I'm really looking to see. Uh, but, yeah, other otherwise, um, I like where this 49ers team is at right now. Uh, so before we move on, let's take a look at their schedule. and. You know, as opposed to the teams we've talked about so far, they do sort of get a break out, out of the gates. Uh, I like that they get Chicago and Seattle right out of the gates. Um, those should be two pretty winnable games at Denver and the Rams. I mean, that'll be tough, but then Carolina's a winnable game, Atlanta's a winnable game, and then you have Kansas City and LA. But they do have more winnable games early than the previous teams in their division. So if you can lock up those winnable games and win some of the harder ones, you could be in a great position going into your bye week, which I do like, split right down the middle. Uh, and then it gets a little bit more tough sledding coming out of the coming out of the bye week. But hopefully at that point, uh, as the weather gets colder, we go into mid-November 
into December and into January, the advantage that this Niners team has is they know how to play smash mouth football, running the football and uh, playing defense. So hopefully at that time, Trey Lance has his, I guess, feet under him, um, is playing comfortable within this offense, and that defensive running game can really be beneficial at that point. Um, and hopefully they're a little bit healthier at that point also than in years past. But I do like their schedule better than the Seahawks and the Cardinals. Right, yeah. Um, yeah, this is the first schedule we've seen in this series for a while, at least, that um, where it seems to have been, you know, a good break for this team, um, which is good to see. Um, if they can, you know, get off to a good start, um, you know, come out of the gates 2-0, and possibly 3-0, and that could really, you know, mean a lot towards their season because, you know, with a young quarterback, with a new starter in there, it's going to be really important to build up his confidence out of the gate um, because if things start to click, um, you really want to make sure um, that he he gets there um, by the time uh, that bye week rolls around. Exactly. Um, so, yeah, I have a, we have a very positive outlook. I'm very high on the 49ers. Um, and I'm, I'm super excited to watch Trey Lance. But let's move on to the last team in the uh, NFC West. Why don't you start us off with the Super Bowl champions, Los Angeles Rams. Yeah, um, the Rams, man, they um... – they found a way to get to get it done this offseason. They went into the offseason in, you know, for lack of a better word, I mean, they were they were pretty much in cap hell um, going in, but they found a way to come out of it with, you know, picking up wide receiver Allen Robinson, um, picking up Bobby Wagner. I mean, they I mean, they lost a few pieces here and there, but I mean, they had a really good draft, which we'll talk about in a little bit. Um, I really liked what they did in this offseason. And, you know, you know, based on what they had available to them, they really didn't have much expectation to have a good offseason. So I really, I really think um, with the cards they were dealt, they may have had the best offseason dollar for dollar if you're, if you're really looking at it that way. Um, but yeah, I just think the veteran leadership that they were able to add, um, and you know, year two of Matthew Stafford, I think, will be less um, volatile. I guess a little bit more consistent, hopefully. Um, so I really, I really like how that team is looking for sure. Yeah, we're going into year six of the Sean McVay era uh, with the Rams, and in the time that Les Snead has manned the um, GM position and McVay in the time that they've worked together, uh, three NFC champ, three NFC West titles, I'm sorry, in two Super Bowl appearances, including a win last year in the big game. Um, you get Matt Stafford last offseason. Um, you know, I think don't expect anything less. I think he's dealing with some elbow stuff in his throwing arm. Uh, not quite sure, but they don't seem to be too worried about it, so I'm not too worried about that. Uh, love the defense. Obviously, 
get a guy like Bobby Wagner and just, you know, put him in the middle of this defense. Uh, that never hurts. Um, Leonard Floyd, Aaron Donald, the best in the game, uh, and others love the defensive front. Not much else to say about the secondary. You have Jalen Ramsey uh, and others love the defense. Really nothing to say there. Cam Akers is coming back after an Achilles tear. We'll see what he looks like. But regardless, I like the run game. Love Sean McVay. Uh, they lose Robert Woods, who goes to Tennessee. Uh, but they still have Van Jefferson, a guy who I really like to step up in that role. Uh, Cooper Cup, one of the best in the game. They add Allen Robinson to, again, fill that void. Uh, and I, I expect big things out of him, uh, considering, you know, he had a big year two years ago uh, in Chicago. And then Tyler Higby and others. I mean, what do you what do you say? Uh, they won the Super Bowl, and typically after you win the Super Bowl, guys get paid. You're not able to keep a lot of these guys. Uh, there were actually discussions and rumors about Aaron Donald possibly retiring earlier this offseason, right after the Super Bowl, but he ends up coming back. You lose Odell, but you get Allen Robinson. You lose you know, uh, Darius Williams, but secondary still fine. You insert Bobby Wagner. You just keep supplementing this team and being aggressive, going out in free agency and getting, getting major talent through free agency and then supplementing it with some good draft picks. Um, the schedule isn't too brutal. There's some tough ones early. But this is the Rams that we're talking about. This is the Super Bowl champions. Hopefully, we don't see the Super Bowl hangover. I don't think we will. Um, but, yeah, I love Stafford. Love what this team has going for it right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, this team, you know, I think a lot of people may be overlooking them a little bit. You know, they – I think – uh, the Allen Robinson signing isn't get talked about enough. Um, he's a guy who, if you look at his career, has never had a good quarterback situation. He's finally able to go to L.A. and have a good quarterback throwing to him. So there's no telling what he'll be able to do uh, with Sean McVay being able to scheme him open as well. Um, I don't know, man. I just I really like this offseason. I think um, they're in a really good position to really um, position, you know, to really um, solidify their status as, you know, a home field advantage type of team if they can get it done. Um, yeah, I. it was really a lot of um, reloading on the edges. They really didn't, didn't lose much of their main talent. But one thing I will say, though, is um, – their safeties um, last year, they brought in, you know, Eric Weddle to supplement that safety group. Um, and then he retired um, after the Super Bowl. So uh, that's one question I do have before Eric, Eric Weddle came in. Um, that was a spot where they really struggled. I mean, it wasn't a struggle, but it wasn't great. Um, so if they're able to, you know, have, you know, uh, Taylor Rapp or Nick Scott step up and, be a little bit better going into this year. That would 
really make a big difference. Um, but other than that, there really isn't much to say about this team, man. They, I mean, they're Super Bowl chance for a reason. Right. I mean, I argue you have a tier one uh, quarterback with Matt Stafford. You have all the weapons you need. Uh, Kim Akers coming off a of Achilles tear isn't great, uh, but we'll see what he looks like. The offensive line is solidified. Um, defensive front is obviously really good. Aaron Donald manning that front, you're always going to be uh, – Leonard Floyd and others, you're always going to be – uh, pretty good up front. Uh, love the team in the trenches. Um, the secondary is something to keep an eye out for. I mean, you do lose Darius Williams, who was a solid number two corner uh, in this defense last year opposite Jalen Ramsey. The Jaguars went out. They paid big money for him. I don't really blame the Rams uh, for not, you know, uh, upping. Uh, their offer for Williams because they have so many other things to worry about coming off a Super Bowl victory. But that will be something to watch. But I trust uh, this coaching staff and the development of the players in this secondary. Uh, they did get Troy Hill, who's a veteran guy in free agency, uh, going into the seventh year out of Oregon. Uh, so they did make some moves um, to supplement what they lost. But obviously the leadership – uh, of Eric Weddle will be something else to watch. But with Jalen Ramsey back there, I don't really worry all that much. Um, so, yeah, it's I think the expectation is to get back to the big game. But obviously, that's not going to be easy because we've only seen a couple teams do it the past 20 years. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, the only team that did it at Tom Brady. So I don't know. We'll see. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, let's, let's take a look at the schedule here before we um, move on to the next thing here. Um, first impression, I'd say the bye week is a little bit early. Um, week seven for, you know, 17 week season, 18 week season. Um, it's a little bit early, I'd say. They're going to have a long stretch of games to close the year. Um, that's not great. Um, Buffalo week one, that's going to be pretty tough, but they do get that game at home. Um, and then they have Atlanta and Arizona, two possibly you know winnable games. But you have a tough divisional game. That's going you know those are always you know pretty flippy floppy most of the time. I I don't know if that's a word, but. <laughs> um, and then San Francisco, uh, Dallas, um, two pretty tough games. I'd say you could probably uh, you can probably win against Dallas. Um, that kind of hurts as like the Cowboys fan, but you know. Um, and then Carolina, that's winnable. Then you have the bye week. Then San Francisco again, Tampa Bay, Arizona. That's a tough little stretch right there. Um, New Orleans, Kansas City, and then you kind of have a um, a little bit of a more winnable game with Seattle. And then you play Las Vegas, Green Bay, Denver, Los Angeles, and then you close the year with Seattle. So they have um, a lot of tough games on the schedule. I mean, that's pretty – I mean, that's expected for a Super Bowl champion. But 
they kind of get it in waves. You have, you know, a stretch of four or five games against tough teams, and they'll get one game against, you know, one of the lesser teams. Um, so we'll have to see how they're able to do. Um, I'd say it's probably going to be pretty important for their guys to, you know, really get healthy during that bye week because they've got a they've got a long stretch of football um, after it. Right. Um, you know, I don't worry all that much about uh, the tough games early. This team has typically been pretty good at mm-hmm. starting fast. Um, they started like six or seven and one last year. The only loss coming uh, week four, the game against Arizona. Uh, the thing that really stands out to me with their schedule, obviously the uh, week seven bye week isn't great. You like to have that a little later on. But this, like, late October, um, November stretch that they have that you mentioned right after the bye week with San Francisco, Tampa Bay, Arizona, New Orleans, and Kansas City, five potential playoff teams. Uh, I'm really interested to see. If they get off to a fast start, they're running, you know, right out of the gates, winning games. They get to that bye week. The dog days of the NFL regular season, now that it's 17 games, right in the middle of that schedule with those games, does it get a little rough going? And if they get through that stretch, are they – do they run out of gas towards the end? I don't know. I don't expect it. I don't expect them to have any troubles with that. But, uh, yeah, that's really the thing that stood out to me right away, that – five-game stretch right out of the bye week before they play Seattle on December 4th. Right, yeah, exactly. Um, anything else you want to add on the Rams? Uh, not really. I mean, I expect this team, uh, I believe they're up there, if not the favorite again to go win the Super Bowl. Um, and with the NFC, I think they have a good chance. Um so we'll see. Uh, Sean McVay, Sean McVay. So I'm excited to see. Obviously, the most exciting thing I think is going to be the games that they play within the division um, against Arizona. Let's see how Kyler Murray uh, fares. Uh, and then obviously the Niners. Those are going to be the games I'm, lo- I'm looking out for. Right, exactly. Yeah, I think this division is going to be, you know, a two-horse race. I think Arizona get in there maybe early. Um, but I think by the end of the season, the, the cream of the crop of the division will show itself to be those two teams. Right. Okay. So with that being said, uh, about 55 minutes, that's going to do it for our NFC West segment. Uh, that was really fun. I thought – uh, we covered pretty much everything. Uh, so with that, we're going to talk a little college football for the first time uh, this season, really. Um, so where do you want to start? You want to start with Heisman talk, or do you want to talk about this coaching poll that came out uh, earlier this week? Um, let's start with Heisman talk. I'm, I'm pretty in- interested in how this is going to turn out. Okay, so what – 
what stands out to you right off the bat in terms of Heisman talk? Um, well, to me, um, comes down to the two, you know, main quarterbacks, the main, you know, protagonists from last year, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. Um, you know, you can't really go too far down the down the list without mentioning them. I mean, they, you know. They're the two key guys going into next year's draft as well. They're the two main prospects. Um, I mean, there's not much else you can really say, man. I mean, C.J. Stroud, he always puts up numbers. Um, he's played really well in the big games as well against Michigan and, um, you know, Penn State and all of those key games. Maybe, maybe not Penn State, but, um, you know, you know the teams I'm referring to when I say the big games. Um, and then Bryce Young, who um, his poise in the pocket is what impressed me most last year. I think um, it's always about winning the big games and then being and playing big in the big games when you're talking about the Heisman. Um, so I think those are the two guys that have to be at the top of the list if you're talking about predictions. Absolutely, and I actually favor C.J. Stroud over um, Bryce Young just because, number one, it's hard to win back-to-back Heismans. There have been quarterbacks who have done it before, but really hard to do. Uh, And look, I think Ohio State, and we'll talk about this more in a future podcast once we start really digging deep on the teams and the contenders. Ohio State is prime to not only have one of the most explosive offenses we've ever seen, but uh, to win a national championship. Uh, With C.J. Stroud, he's got uh, a year in Ryan Day's offense under his belt. was a really good year last year, 44-6 to touchdown-interception ratio, um, over 4,400 yards. Completed 71% of his passes, and I've only expect bigger and better things from him this year. Um, he finished fourth last year in the Heisman running. Um, so I think he should be the favorite going into this year. The benefit from another year in Ryan Day's offense, another year as a starter, and the weapons that he has, I think, also have a chance to enter the conversation uh, with their – number one receiver entering this year, possibly the best um, receiver in the country come season in, Jackson Smith and Jigma, who had a humongous performance in the Rose Bowl against Utah, if you remember that. Uh, He's obviously, I mean, I think he could join the likes of uh, Devontae Smith uh, and others other great receivers who have won the Heisman before recently. Uh, You look at his numbers from last year, 95 receptions, 1,600 yards, and nine touchdowns. Now he's the number one guy, so there is some more responsibility there. But, I mean, if you've watched this kid, he's he's the next big thing. Um, And he'll be up there next year in the draft too as well as one of the top receivers. And then Trayvon Henderson, their running back, uh, he burst into the scene last year as a true freshman, rushed for about 1,300 yards and 15 touchdowns. The thing that concerns me is 
if all these players that I'm mentioning have great seasons, they might have to split the votes, and that could hurt their cases. Because uh, obviously, if you have to split votes with some of your teammates, that might hurt your case to actually win the award. But I mean, all these players on Ohio State's offense, Henderson and Jigma uh, or CJ Stroud could could win the damn thing. Obviously, Bryce Young has a flying opportunity to do that back to back. You know, Alabama is going to be really good once again. And his teammate on the other side of the football and uh, Will Anderson, we saw um, the Lions pick um, the Michigan guy. God, why am I blanking on his name? Um, Aiden Hutchinson. Aiden Hutchinson. Yeah, we saw him in New York last year uh, at the Heisman ceremony. Uh, get, I believe he finished third. I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, yeah, why can't Will Anderson, uh, the linebacker for Alabama? Uh, we want to talk defense. Um, 17 and a half sacks um, last year. I mean, that's just ridiculous for a college player. Yeah. Um, so he's, you know, Alabama, I think some people would say, have the best, uh, best player on offense in Bryce Young and the best player on defense, undisputably, in Will Anderson. Um, so yeah, I like him. You can never count out an Oklahoma quarterback, even though he's a transfer and Dylan Gabriel, uh, who's re um, we know Oklahoma has a new coaching staff. They lose Lincoln Riley, but Dylan Gabriel's a guy who's established starter. Obviously has gone through some injuries, uh, the past couple of years, but in 2019 at central Florida, UCF, um, he was absolutely fantastic, 61 touchdowns, 11 interceptions before getting injured. Uh, and now with, um, you know, his reuniting with his offensive coordinator there at UCF here at Oklahoma, Jeff Levy, um, I think you could see a big season from him. And with the track record that Oklahoma has, even though Lincoln Riley's not there anymore at Heisman winning quarterbacks, I wouldn't be surprised. It just wouldn't surprise me. Uh, and then, obviously, I'll give uh, Texas a little love. Uh, Bijan Robinson um, with an improved offensive line, some more weapons on the outside, and hopefully uh, better quarterback play as well uh, could be in the running if Texas ends up exceeding expectations. Um, so, yeah, those are the guys I'm watching out for for the Heisman. Yeah, I mean you. I mean you, basically nail every guy I wanted to mention. Um, one guy I will mention though is Caleb Williams. I mean that dude um, is an absolute stud. He's moving over from Oklahoma to USC with Lincoln Riley. He's a guy that Lincoln Riley's already accustomed to. You know his style of play, what he's good at, um, and you know I wouldn't really I wouldn't put it past him, um, Lincoln Riley. You know having another Heisman winning quarterback. But um, I'm not exactly betting on it because I think USC has to have a maybe a year or two of, you know, rebuilding that roster um, before they're, you know, competitive enough to have a Heisman winner. But he's certainly a guy who has all the talent and some to be able to do it. Absolutely. Um, he's – I mean, he burst out into the scene in the Red River rivalry game after 
we saw a lot of struggles um, with Spencer Rattler, who's now transferred to South Carolina. Um, but, yeah, I think don't put it past Lincoln Riley to do anything. Um, the main – that offense is going to be great. I mean, Caleb Williams, you bring over Jordan Addison, the Bolitnikoff winner for the best receiver in the country uh, from Pittsburgh uh, to put right in that offense. You get some other recruits. Uh, you have a solid foundation on the offensive line. Question for USC is how quickly can they build up this defense? Once they can do that, which I think is going to take a couple of years, they can really insert themselves into national championship caliber contention. Right now, I think they're going to be a good team. I think they're going to double their win total uh, from four to about eight or nine, uh, just with the talent that Caleb Williams is. Uh, but, yeah, the question mainly for USC is their defense because it was pretty pitiful last year. Anywho, uh, I sent you the coaches poll over text. So if you go back in your text, we can talk real fast about this uh, coaches poll that was released earlier this week and some of the things that stand out to us. Um, real fast, while Emmy is pulling that up, I'll run through the top 20, um, the top 20 teams. Um, starts how you pretty much expect it would with Bama, number one, Ohio State, number two, Georgia, the defending national champions, number three, uh, Clemson reasserts itself in the top four, uh, number four, five, Notre Dame, six, Michigan coming off its Big Ten championship victory and college football playoff appearance, uh, seven, A&M, lots of big expectations in college station. Uh, but the questions all surround quarterback play um, with Jimbo Fisher's team. Utah, a team that I think should be favored to win the Pac-12 after a run to the Rose Bowl uh, last year. Um, what Kyle Whittingham is doing with Utah as a football team is beyond me incredible. Uh, Oklahoma still remains up there. Uh, they still have the expectations. They're Oklahoma. You know what you're going to get. Now you get a guy in Brent Venables coming over from Clemson who is going to really get the most out of that defense, I think. And if Dylan Gabriel is what we think he is, they're going to be tough to beat. Um, Baylor, who won the Big 12 last year. Oklahoma State, another great Big 12 team up there as well. Then you get Oregon, NC State. Solid ACC team that I think a lot of people are overlooking. Michigan State um, with Mel Tucker. USC at number 15. This is sort of where you get to the territory of teams that, are, that have expectations but haven't really proved things yet. Teams that are looking to get back to that national championship caliber uh, conversation, contention sort of thing with teams like um, Michigan State, USC, uh, Miami at number 17, Texas at number 18, uh, Wake Forest, who had a good run last year, uh, and then Wisconsin. So wh what sort of stands out to you? Um, the first, you know, light bulb that popped in my head is when you mentioned Clemson at four. I find that pretty interesting. Um, they have their quarterback coming back, um, second-year starter, DJ Ugalele, I think is his name. Um, 
but you know, Clemson always has the talent. I mean, I don't question that, but you know, putting it into practice, you know, and you know, executing on that is going to be the question for me. But they are in the ACC, um, a conference with a lot of questions. So, you know, with the power vacuum that's there in their conference, I think um, it's pretty fair to say they can rise to the top of that. Um, next question mark, I'd say, is probably, um, you know, Oklahoma State and Baylor, I'd say. Um, those are two teams that I think, you know, a couple things change and, you know, Oklahoma State could have ended up in the college football playoff, you know. Um, right. And, I mean, that's no that's no small feat. Um, so that those are two teams that I think might be slept on a little bit. Um, I'm not going to say they're too low, but I think where they are is fair. But I think by the end of the year, they could be higher than where they're at. That's all I'm going to say. Absolutely. I'll just run through a couple things I want to mention, and then we can wrap this thing up. Um, obviously, something that stood out to me was the Big 12. Uh, getting its respect in this poll. Um, we obviously talked about Oklahoma. They have a new head coach. They've lost a lot of players to the portal, as we mentioned with uh, Caleb Williams. But I think they have a clear path towards another Big 12 championship. Uh, Dylan Gabriel, phenomenal season, as I mentioned, at UCF in 2019. He reunites with his offensive coordinator Jeff Levy who was the offensive coordinator at UCF at that time and comes over from Ole Miss and we saw Ole Miss's offense offense looked like last year with uh, Matt Corral uh, at manning the quarterback position so I expect big things from Oklahoma Um, Venables knows defense better than anybody and they have some talent on that side of the ball Uh, and the good thing is they get some of their tougher games at home this season. Last year, they had to go on the road to play Baylor. They had to go on the road to play Oklahoma State. This year, they get those games at home. And the Texas game, of course, is sort of a neutral site. So uh, they don't have a lot of tough road games. And so I like that for OU. From a Baylor-Oklahoma State perspective, um, obviously I love uh, Baylor's coach, Dave Aranda. Talk about a defensive-minded coach. Defensive-minded coaches in the Big 12. This is not something we're used to, okay? Um, but it's happening. Uh, he did an amazing job last year. Six returning starters on defense. Should have a, be a top 15 defense just like they were last year. Um, O-line is solid. They had a good running game last year. They do have tough road games. They got to go to OU and BYU. Uh, but they do get Oklahoma State at home, and that will be a rematch of the Big 12 championship game. And then Oklahoma State, I expect big things. They've always had a great defense. Their defense carried them to 12 wins last year in a Fiesta Bowl victory. Uh, But only four starters back on defense. Not as much experience on that defense now, so we'll have to see how that pans out. Um, But still really like them as a team. The common thread you have with these top three horses in the Big 12 uh, that I worry about is they all have the potential to be really good on defense. I'm not sure you can say the same thing about Texas. 
Um, it's getting better. Uh, the recruiting has been good. Uh, there's some young talent I'm excited to see play on this Texas defense. But going up against tough defenses like Baylor, like Oklahoma, uh, like Oklahoma State, who really, I think, should be expected at least preseason to be the cream of the crop in the Big 12, we're going to have to see, especially with an offensive line that, while improved, is young. Uh, in these defensive fronts, you see from Baylor, Oklahoma State, and Oklahoma um, could be tough. So, I don't know. We can talk about Texas more uh, on a future podcast. But, yeah, all the all the programs you expect to be up there are up there. Alabama, Ohio State. I mean, we really don't need to talk about them. Uh, I think everybody is talking about everybody but the defending national champions in Georgia. But don't forget about Georgia. Even though they lost a bunch of talent, they reload. Uh, they were finally to – they finally – um, lifted the monkey off their shoulders, beating Bama in the national championship game. Um, and, yeah, Kirby Smart's one of the best in the business. So this Clemson deal is interesting. This is the last thing I'll say. Before last year, they, I mean, it was a dynasty basically in college football, six straight ACC championships, uh, some national championship game appearances in the days of Trevor Lawrence and Deshaun Watson. Um, but last year was really the first year where we saw mediocre quarterback play out of DJ Uyagagale. And, uh, yeah, they still won 10 games with a not-so-great offense. I mean, it's Clemson. Uh, they still, in a down year, won 10 games. Uh, but I think Uyagagale just has too much talent to not – improve on what he did last year um, and did not be better than he was last year in this defense. I mean, their defensive line is with the talent they have on this defensive line. It's reminiscent of the talent they had back in 2017, 2018, when they had that dominant defensive line that carried them to a national championship. So I like their defense. Um, they obviously lose Venables, but the talent on this defense I don't know. Could see big things out of Clemson once again. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um anything you want to add on the on the coaches poll or uh Michigan is another interesting team. Um they're coming off a Big Ten championship game. Obviously finally beat Ohio State last year. Um there is a quarterback question there. There's a quarterback battle going on. So that will be an interesting watch through the rest of fall camp and going into the season. But J.J. McCarthy, a talented guy, is expected to win that job. So hopefully, I mean, with the defense that they have and the running game that they have, if they get um, – and they might they might have the best offensive line in college football uh, with the experience they have up front. They get some better quarterback play this year. They could do it again. They could challenge Ohio State, but we'll have to see. And then I mentioned Utah. Don't forget about Utah. I know they're sort of out there in the Midwest or in the Pac-12. Everyone wants to talk about USC and this and that, UCLA and this and that. But Utah, man, they're 
we don't want to see Utah. Um, trust me. Yeah, yeah. Utah is legit. They're always, they're always really, really good over there in the Pac-12 for sure. Um, one team that I'm surprised is left off the list is Cincinnati. I think they made the poll at 22, but I just didn't mention them. Another team that's down oh, there. Well. Okay, yeah, I see them. Okay. Uh, another team that's down there as well is Arkansas. Um, I mean, the SEC is a gauntlet, but what uh, what they're doing down there with KJ Richardson and some of the other guys that they have, whew, they're tough. Um, yeah. Ole Miss obviously loses their quarterback, and then Houston. So yeah, there are a lot of teams. Um, I don't know. We we'll dive more into this um, on a future podcast. Because uh, we still have a couple weeks to dig more into the teams themselves, uh, but I like this as a start to our college football talk. Right, exactly. Um, okay, uh, where are we sitting at on time here? We're at one sixteen, one hour sixteen minutes. So it's up to you. Okay, yeah. Let's let's continue. Let's go ahead and continue. Um. You had some things you wanted to say about Tatis Jr. So, um, Justin is going to be like five, ten minutes, so it's no big deal. Yeah, I'll make this quick. Um, look, I – well, let's just start here. 18 months ago, um, you know, A.J. Preller, the general manager of the uh, San Diego Padres – and the owner, or the chairman, uh, Peter Seidler, um, sat in front of the camera uh, way back when, uh, you know, the pandemic was raging and the, um, you know, the press conferences were dominated by Zoom. Um, they, last spring, February, 18 months ago, announced uh, – 14-year, $340 million extension to Fernando Tatis, who had just come off a great rookie season. Um, And, you know, they locked up their star. Uh, He's an electrifying baseball player, playing the shortstop position, arguably the most electric young star in the game. And they locked him up for 14 years. Uh, When they already had, they didn't have – necessarily um, that urgency that they had to pay him at that moment in time because they still had years of control before they really had to pay him. Um, it wasn't like this, you know, some of the other situations going on around the league with the judge, Aaron Judge, uh, and some others. Uh, but they gave him that big extension, and with that came big, big responsibility. You're a 22-year-old superstar. Uh, you're expected to do big things. You're expected to be the centerpiece of this franchise. And obviously now some things have changed. You bring in one soda, and obviously that's looking real good right now, especially considering the fact that Tatis won't be coming back this season at all. Um, but, yeah, I just it was announced on Friday that um, – out of nowhere, he's he was just about to come back. He had been playing minor league uh, rehab games, you know, coming off this wrist injury that he sustained due to a motorcycle accident uh, in the off season. 
uh, that required surgery and a three-plus month recovery. It's had a bit of a slow recovery. Um, and it just, just announced Friday that 80-game suspension, which will carry through the playoffs and into the next 40 games, first 40 games of next season. Um, not what you want out of your 23-year-old superstar shortstop who there's a reason not just on the field that they gave him all this money. Supposed to be a leader in that clubhouse, and you know, on that day that they gave, that they announced the extension, um, it's a thr- this is what their chairman had to say. It's a thrilling day. There's probably not too many 14-year contracts ahead in my lifetime, but I hope there are because this, because in this case, the stars are aligned. I know I was nowhere near as mature as this 22-year-old adult. No mature as the word there uh, is when I was 22, but he has a passion to do great things in his profession. There's a lot of trust, particularly between Fernando and AJ, which I'm sure came through pretty loud and pretty clear uh, um, via this extension. So from getting the extension to having a shoulder injury last year, to fighting with Machado in the dugout last year when things were absolutely going south uh, late last year in the regular season, to collapsing uh, late last year in the regular season, to not making smart decisions in the offseason, not getting your shoulder fixed, uh, waiting to get your shoulder surgery, um, getting into a motorcycle accident, breaking your wrist, not being there for your team, uh, up until this point, and now this. It's just, for a fan of the game of baseball, for as much as I talk about the young talent, uh, the extreme, you know, loads of young talent we have in today's game, and for, Tatis is fantastic. I'm not saying he's not a great baseball player, but it just seems like, whether it's fair or not, you're 23 years old, you're the superstar, uh, you're seeing by many fans to be an ambassador for the game of baseball. You're getting paid all this money, 13 years, $340 million by the San Diego Padres. That does not include any of the endorsement deals that he has. And now all these things, which has limited his availability and you know, limited, you know, his ability to play. I don't care what the reason he said was for taking whatever banned substance he took. You just can't do it. You can't, you can't do it when you have this much responsibility. But people make mistakes. Hopefully he comes back uh, better than ever. Uh, I really do like Fernando Tatis. Um, so hopefully this isn't too much of a, of a stain on his, uh, on his resume and on his legacy. Yeah, I think, I think everything you said there was fair. I mean, you know – as a guy who's more of a casual baseball fan, you know, I've always seen that there's like a lot of, you know, fire and emotion behind Tatis. Um, most notably the time where um, I believe he like, he hit a home run when they were up like 14 to, to zero or something against one of the teams. And, you know, a lot of people were off put by that, but that's, you know, that's that fire in him, you know, that's that competitive spirit in him. And, you know, I think 
there's a lot of good in that. And there's also, you know, he's got to find a way to tame it in a little bit. Um, so hopefully he can learn from it. I mean, it's, I mean, it is what it is at this point. There's no going back now. So, um, now paired with Juan Soto, maybe less of the responsibility will fall on him to be, you know, the guy. So maybe that'll even help him. But um, the talent is still there, man. There's still time. Oh, absolutely. The talent's absolutely there. And they can still compete for a World Series. It just was really disappointing from the fact that, I mean, the money is sort of a, I mean, that was going to be there either way for a guy of Tatis's caliber. Um, and, you know, sooner rather than later, even though Soto has two years of control left after this year, they're going to be looking to pay him as well. Uh, but I'm sure for a guy like Juan Soto, who just got there from Washington, hoping to, you know, pair up with Tatis um, and, you know, with the front office moves that they made at the trading deadline, really being aggressive, not only getting Soto, but getting Josh Hader, who's a lights out bullpen arm, uh, one of the best in the game, along with Josh Bell and, you know, a first baseman who's in over 300, Brandon Drury, all these guys, all these pieces. And you're just not going to be available for your team because you took a banned substance and you, for whatever reason, got into a motorcycle accident. Things happen, I understand, but and I know he's he's still super young, but I just a little disappointed. Little disappointed. That's all. A little disappointed. Yeah, yeah. That's that's definitely fair. One hundred percent fair. Um, okay. Yeah, that's gonna do it, guys, for episode one hundred and sixteen. I hope you enjoyed that. Um, that was a jam packed episode. Uh, make sure to drop a like. Make sure to subscribe to the channel. Uh, leave a five star rating on. Uh, on Spotify, Apple, wherever you're listening to it on, on, uh, podcast services. Um, and we'll catch y'all soon. Um, and I'll let Michael sign us off here. Yeah, we'll catch y'all soon. In fact, we will catch you on Tuesday. We have a banger of an episode coming for you on Tuesday. We're going to be in person and for you NBA fans out there, you might want to tune in. So, uh, yeah, with that, that's going to do it for episode 116 of the Raw Prospect Podcast. And I guess, just like Fernando Tatis's chances of playing in a game this season, or the first 40 games next season, plus Sepp Straka's chances of winning a PGA tournament event uh, by hitting the ball into the water on the third playoff hole of today's tournament. Oof. Um, against Will Zalatoris, who, congratulations, won his first event in the first event of the FedEx Cup playoffs. Who also hit it in the water. <laughs> who also, well, he almost hit in the water. He well, had an unplayable yeah. ball. Yeah. But just like all of that, we are going, going, gone. Peace out. Peace out. Peace out, guys. Thanks so much for watching. If you enjoyed that video, Make sure to click on one of these two videos right here, our latest video right here on the left, or the video YouTube recommends for you on the right.